Virginia, you even reminded me that sometimes I can care about hockey. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Keep It Fictional. Woo! The crowd goes wild. I am joined today by the quick Mark and the powerful Virginia. And I'm your host, Fiona. Today, we are going to be talking about sports, sports, go sports. Yeah, I know a lot about sports, I swear. <laughs> so all of our books today are uh, sports picks, whether that's fiction or nonfiction. Um, and I'm super excited. I actually love to read books about sports, um, but I'm very excited to see which direction everyone went with it. Did you pick a sport you like? Was it about the sport for you or was it a book that happened to contain sports? But before we get to those, let's talk a little bit about our sport inclinations. Uh, so I'm curious, Mark and Virginia, what sports do you like to watch? Do you have any teams that you particularly follow? I think Virginia's trying to keep it in because we know the answer is yes for, for Virginia. Well, I guess for me, the answer would have to be baseball. Uh, I, I do watch a couple of different sports, including baseball and hockey, but I guess these days I tend to watch a lot more baseball than hockey, just for whatever reason. It's I've tended to drift more in that direction uh, lately. But although, like the team that I, as I've mentioned before, that I associate most with is probably the Vancouver Canucks. So there's still that connection to that sport there. Well, and as I was saying to Mark and Fiona yesterday, when Fiona told us about the questions that there's only one right answer to this, obviously hockey. <laughs> and just ever since I found out that Mark is a Canucks fan, I decided today not to wear my Calgary Flames jersey because I don't want him to recoil in disgust. So I just got my Jets jersey on. I hope that that's a little more neutral, maybe, Mark. Yes, he's nodding his head, maybe. I don't know how he actually feels about the Jets, but figure that's more neutral, probably. Anyway, yes, so hockey, definitely. Um, Calgary Flames is my team, always. But I would also say, like, if I were to, like, a, a real sport, definitely hockey that I pretty much only watch but during the olympics i would say that i probably pick like really i will watch like diving and volleyball i don't know why but those are the two things that just something mesmerizing about diving i don't know what it is and of course if it is fictional sports like you know anime sports anime i will watch anything it doesn't even matter what sports it is because it's always good somehow they can make things that i hate like american football exciting i don't know how fiona how about you um i'm not i'm not actually very into to uh watching sports i would rather play them 
Uh, and I recently rediscovered soccer, which has been a lot of fun. But soccer is also my answer for watching. Like every once in a while, a World Cup or Olympics, I will just get really into it and then forget all about it until the next time. So I'm excited because I think we just won a bid for FIFA. So that is going to be very exciting, maybe like 2023 or something like that. 26. 26. Three years. What are years these days? <laughs> but I totally agree with you, Virginia. Like anime and manga make sports like the weirdest sports you you didn't know you could care about. They make them so good. <laughs> like ice skating? Why would I watch ice skating? But I say any anime, I would definitely watch it. So that's actually one that I love the Winter Olympics and I like watching them with my family and my for whatever reason, ice skating is what we watched. <laughs> All right, let's turn our attention to books now because there is a wonderful, wonderful coexistence of sitting and reading and sports because you can read about sports. What a gift. So Mark, uh, what have you brought us today? So today I will be talking about Real by Takahiko Inoue. It's a manga series. Focuses on basketball is the main sport aspect of this series. And it's actually not the first basketball series that this author has done. He did another series in the 90s that was very, very, very popular in Japan called Slam Dunk. It was a huge hit in the Shonen Jump magazine, which is where like a lot of the top series like Naruto and My Hero Academia are from. And even though both of these series involve basketball, they're actually very, very different in tone and content. Whereas in Slam Dunk, it sort of falls like kind of an archetypal storyline that you like we were just talking about, like a lot of sports, anime, and manga. It's where it's like you have like a ragtag team of down and out school that's not popular or not very good anymore. But then you suddenly have the the team come together and rise up through the ranks again to reach the national championship or some such thing. That's sort of what Slam Dunk was kind of like from what I hear about it. I haven't actually read it, but that's sort of the general idea that I've gotten from it. Whereas real is very, very different. In this story, many of the characters are dealing with many issues, particularly disabilities, as two of the three main characters have a physical disability. So in this series, it focuses much more on like the, I want to say gritty to use that kind of like cliche kind of term, but much more serious aspects of these people's lives and how it relates to their passion for basketball. And also in this series, sometimes the main characters do sort of intersect, their lives intersect and meet together, but in many ways they also diverge. So many of the chapters, they'll focus on one particular character before transitioning back to another character. So even though they do know each other in sort of distinct ways, the stories are very much separate in that way as well. They're not necessarily tied together by a particular team or a particular goal that's shared between them. They just sort of have a shared passion for basketball. The first of our three characters is Tomomi Nomiya, a sometimes delinquent who frequently is getting in trouble at school. Uh, he has also stylized his personal appearance after early 2000s Kobe Bryant. So if you can picture Kobe Bryant with when he had the sort of Afro, the light Afro kind of look, that's sort of what Nomiya has got going on for his uh, personal sense of style. But this sense of style also tends to get him in trouble because people tend to associate him as like being like a thug, a suspicious person who must be up to no good, sort of getting profiled by people. And this has sort of led him to have a very impulsive and combative attitude towards people as he feels he's sort of often singled out for unfair reasons. People sort of look at him and kind of make an assumption about who he is. 
but through this, his passion has been playing basketball. But after he's expelled, he is eventually expelled from school for cutting too many classes and causing trouble. He got into a motorcycle accident that left another high school girl paralyzed and no longer able to use her legs. And because he's kicked out of school, he no longer has a place to play basketball. And essentially, basketball was the one thing that sort of kept him grounded. It, he felt a strong connection to it. But without that, he sort of feels like he's sort of lost his bearings in his life. What, like, what's he going to do now without basketball? But one day when he's visiting the girl who he was in a crash with in the hospital, he's sort of out with a walk with her. And at the hospital, there's this lone man in a wheelchair playing, practicing basketball on the court. And this man is Kiyoharu Togawa. And I'll get talked about him a little bit more later on. He's another one of the main characters of this series. And through his encounters with Tagawa, Nomiya is inspired to, to not give up on basketball or himself. He sort of wants to keep trying to better himself as a person. He sort of has like this low self-esteem. He doesn't think of himself as a very great person. He's always getting into these conflicts with people. So he wants to go on this kind of journey of self-improvement and to stay connected to basketball through this journey, wherever that takes him. Because as sort of like an 18-year-old who didn't finish high school, he doesn't really know what he's going to be doing with his life, where he's going to go with it now, because it's quite difficult in, in many ways if you're expelled from high school and you don't really know what you're going to be doing with his life. So that's kind of his challenge at the moment. And sort of to get back to Tagawa, he's sort of like a very fierce competitor. Um, and this is immediately clear to me, to Nomiya. And that's why Nomiya challenges him to a game of one-on-one -on -one basketball. He thinks like, oh, this guy, he's in the wheelchair, but he's, he's a real strong competitor. I want to see how he can compete and Togawa totally annihilates him in a game of one-on-one -on -one basketball we sort of get to learn that Togawa actually used to be on a like a semi-professional team uh, in wheelchair basketball on a team called the Tigers but Togawa has a very strong personality and a very competitive nature that made him very abrasive and rubbed his teammates the wrong way and eventually he left this team because of his personality and his competitive nature but also because uh, within wheelchair basketball, there's different rankings or grades for different players, depending on the extent of their disability. So for example, Togawa only has, he has no spinal cord injury, has no range of motion issues. He is missing one, his right leg due to uh, amputation because he had cancer in his leg. Whereas many of his teammates have a very extensive range of motion uh, limitations and disabilities. And within wheelchair basketball, they actually have a scoring system to rank different players depending on their ability to uh, move their limbs and things like that. And as one of the higher ranking players on his team, Togawa sometimes was a little bit too demanding of his teammates. He wasn't always the most understanding person. So his personality has caused some issues in the past as well. But after this encounter with Nomiya, he, and they sort of developed this kind of strange, bizarre, not quite friends relationship through basketball. And over time, Togawa sort of, tries to reevaluate his own perspective, his own goals, because even before he lost his leg, he was a top middle school runner. He competed in large championships. He was considered like a favorite to go to the national title, national championships in uh, middle school running prior to discovering that he had this cancer in his leg and had to be amputated. So to him being a top performer and like a top athlete has always been very important to his sense of self and uh, his mission in his life is to sort of compete, to so always be self-improving and things like that. And that has continued on after his, his amputation and being limited to a wheelchair. Whereas early on, he may have, he very much doubted his ability to continue to be an athlete. But we sort of see throughout this series that even if someone has a certain disability, they can still be 
an athlete, they can still compete. They can still be on a team, no matter what their sort of uh, limitations on their physical abilities are. And just to turn to the last of our three main characters uh, is a former teammate of Nomiya's, Hisanobu Takahashi. At the start of the series, Takahashi is a very not well-liked person. <laughs> He's a very selfish person. He bullies his teammates. He verbally lashes out at his parents and other people who question his authority and things like this. Um, he tends to look down at other people, including Nomiya, who he serves sort of as like inferior to him because he's not the socially like fitting in type of person. So Takahashi is a very challenging person to like early on in the series. But Takahashi's life is suddenly turned upside down when one day he's out with a girl. They sort of like impulsively want to go somewhere really quick. So they grab someone's bike to steal it. But the owner sort of catches them and starts chasing them, which leads them to sort of dart out into traffic and gets hit by a car. And everything sort of goes black. And one day Takahashi wakes up in the hospital. He doesn't remember what has happened, but he's immediately aware that something isn't quite right. And then he's told that he can no longer move the lower half of his body. Uh, he's paralyzed completely below his chest. Takahashi's sort of reaction to this is extremely negative at first, but over time he sort of comes to accept this new reality of his life and vows to one day play basketball again to even possibly even walk again as he sort of dedicates himself slowly to his physical re rehabilitation. And this also sort of applies to his mental perspective as well to overcome these sort of lashing out traits that I sort of mentioned before. He's very abrasive and very mean-spirited towards other people and sort of being in this situation sort of teaches him to learn to trust in other people, to not look down on them for one particular reason or another as he's um, sort of now in this very changed physical state compared to before. Those are the sort of like the three main plot lines of the series of Nomiya, Tagawa, and Takahashi. They sort of, uh, these storylines sort of intersect at times, but for the most part, they have their own stories and their own goals. I also like this one, I mentioned like a few things that sort of do unify these stories together. And it's just the fact that they all sort of have their own personal goals to try and overcome their own obstacles in their life that they want to overcome and achieve their their own personal plan for their lives, because even though their lives are all very different, that sort of affects how they approach their life and how they want to approach the future as they relate to basketball, sports, and the people in their life. So just in general, it's a very realistic take on disability. You probably, if you don't know, already know a lot about like wheelchair basketball or the types of abilities that different athletes who compete with a disability have, then I think you might also learn a few different things about that aspect of people's lives, those kinds of sports that don't often get talked about a lot. We sort of mentioned the Olympics in the introduction, but a lot of times people will watch the quote unquote regular Olympics, but we don't really pay much attention to the Paralympics as much. It gets a lot less attention. And wheelchair basketball is one of the biggest sports, I believe, in the summer Paralympics as well. So just to get like a different perspective on sports and the way that people might be part of a team, I found very interesting and a if you like a more kind of uh, serious and realistic series, then you probably also like Real by Takahiko Inoue. Great. Thanks so much for bringing that today, Mark. That sounds like a great series. Makes me want to pull up a beanbag chair and just sit all day and binge that manga series. <laughs> okay, we are going to move on to Virginia, and I'm going to eat my hat if Virginia's book is not about hockey. And you know what? Originally, it wasn't about hockey. I read a book about tennis, which I love, but 
but I can't talk about it yet because it fits an upcoming episode really, really well. So I'm going to save that for it. So I did read something else and I also stopped myself from reading a, a sports manga also because I feel like that's kind of cheating for me at least. So instead, yes, instead it, it is about maybe about hockey. What else would it be, right? I would say by the time this episode airs, my schedule and my evening schedule especially is going to be wide open. It would be the start of those few months, those weird few months where what time we go out to do errands, who's going to do the cooking. None of that is going to be determined by whether the Flames is playing or not that night. Because by then, the hockey season would be over. This year's Stanley Cup would be awarded, hopefully to the right team, Mark. Part of why I also hate summer, because there is no hockey. Watching hockey is like eating comfort food for me. I always put a hockey game on, even give it in the background, just even listening to the play-by-play, the fans, their chants, their cheers. It's just so soothing. But that has not always been the case because before I came to Canada, I have never watched hockey. I don't even know what that is. And I remember like coming here and I'll just be like, why is everybody so obsessed with this game and their hockey pool? Like, what does that all mean? I was very a late adopter, I would say, for the game. It hasn't been that long since I've I watched hockey. But thank goodness I was shown the light by one Jerome Aguinla. Yes, I'm going to talk about Jerome Aguinla again because this is a library podcast about books and somehow I get to mention his name twice already. So I'm going to try to fit it in as much as I can. But anyway, he's the reason why I watch hockey. He's the why reason why I'm a Flames fan. And I'm always kind of sad that I only started watching kind of after the height of his career. So I kind of missed when he was at his best. So I'm a little sad about that. But anyway, because I didn't grow up with the sports, I never got to play the sports. You know, I don't know if people do that in gym class, but I know my husband did. I never get to play any of that. I always feel like I'm missing something. Like I don't fully understand the game. Maybe I'm just not able to appreciate it um, as much as I should be. And I want to be able to do that because I, I love hockey. And if you can't tell already, and I, like, I feel like I've got the passion for it. And, you know, as a matter of fact, in my house, when my husband asks me questions or when he decides to take a bath, he times it with when the Flames is playing. Because as he said, I get really loud and really yelly. And I am not a fun person to be with after the game if my team loses. You don't want to be near me at all. So I want to be able to, if I'm going to yell at the TV, I want to be able to yell intelligently at the TV. I want to be able to be able to analyze the game the way, you know, like the people do during the intermission. I want to understand the flow of the game better. I want to be able to see what, you know, like how the puck gets moved around. I want to be able to appreciate a bit more. So this is just a long preamble to explain why I decided to choose the book that I did today, because I think it is going to help me watch the game better. So this is Take Your Eye Off the Puck, How to Watch Hockey by Knowing Where to Look by Greg Wyshynski. If you know hockey, you probably have heard of his name before. He's a longtime sports writer. He used to be the author of the Puck Daddy blog. He had numerous podcasts about hockey. He now works for ESPN. And I feel like if there's somebody who can teach me how to watch hockey and appreciate maybe the game a bit better than I do now, it is probably going to be him. So the book covers many, many aspects of the game on the ice and also off the ice. And he interviewed a lot of players and coaches and analysts to try to get their sense of how they see the game. And I would say about half of the book 
directly addresses that subtitle, "How to Watch Hockey by Knowing Where to Look." He starts by talking about the different positions. So, what are their roles? You know, what are they supposed to do at any given stage of the game?、Um, what does a center do? Why would you need a right-handed defenseman? I feel like he really believes in defense, and he thinks that defense wins the game and gets you to the playoffs. So I really appreciate that section of the book because I feel like it's not as obvious, you know, to someone who just casually watches the game because it's easy to see the skills of a, a forward, right? Like you, you watch them carry the puck past like three defensemen all by himself, and you're like, whoa! Like you, you can see the skills. Whereas I think defensemen, as he pointed out. The less you hear about them, the better, because they are really playing the structure that they are supposed to play. So I really appreciate that section of the book.、Um, but he also covers different kind of plays. So again, how do you watch the players that don't have the puck at the time? Because I feel like I'm always following the puck, but that's not. What you should be doing, you should be watching where the other players are. How do they make themselves available in the open ice? How do they make themselves a shooting lane? And when the puck get passed, do where? You think that your teammate is supposed to go, and none of this is luck. It's usually not like, oh, they just happen to be there. That was lucky. No, anything that you see is years and years of practice, and there's a system that underlies how each team plays. And even a goal that is, you know, resulted from a deflection, as he pointed out, it's again years and years of practice. You know, like there is skills involved in that. It's not just that the person happens to have the stick in the right place. And he explains things like why would you intentionally lose a faceoff? What is the actual scoring chances you create if you dump and chase versus you carrying the puck in? Whose fault is it when a play goes offside? You know, and how a coach de- determines what lines to put on the ice. All those different moving parts in the game, and what is sort of that underlying structure that that all of this is based on. And it's really interesting to kind of get a sense of that. And of course, there's also a lot of other parts of the book that talks maybe not so much about the game. On the ice, but the other parts of it, which are also still really interesting, like rule changes, for example, you know, like which is either motivated by like you know to keeping the player more safe, or because there's not enough goals being scored that year, and so the NHL decided they need to change some rules to so that you can have more scoring, or the hockey equipment, you know, like all the different parts of a blade that you have to like look at and which player favors what, all the regulations around it, that how long your stick is supposed to be unless you're Sedano Chara, you get it. Exemption on that, you know, like all the management, the drafting, the stats. So he gives you a little bit of information about each of them. Now, after reading the book, I, I definitely feel like I know a little bit more, but I feel like I want a little bit more than what he has given me. I want a little bit more in depth. I would love to get get into sort of more the coaching mindset. How do you create these plays and on a power play? Like, what is the set plays that you practice over and over again? I would love to learn a little bit more about that. I feel like I got a little bit, but maybe not enough. I also feel like, despite the book covers all of the basic concepts, I even have a glossary of all the different hockey terms. I feel like if you don't watch Hockey already. This might be a little overwhelming because he's writing for audience who kind of already know a little bit of the game. He's making references to games and players that, if you don't know them, you they will make really no sense. So I feel like I'm not really sure whether this is like the right primer for like a beginner. But if you watch hockey and you want just to a little bit more, I think this would be a good book. For that audience, and it's clearly written by someone who loves the game. And I feel like your mileage may vary depending on whether you like his puns and his bad jokes.、Um, it's approachable; it's definitely approachable style. But it depends on whether you like his writing style or not.
he references a lot of plays and a lot of players that I I know. So I'm like, oh, maybe I have watched hockey longer than I thought I I have. So it was interesting, you know, like, and and that's kind of why I thought like, I'll go with a nonfiction, even though I don't read nonfiction. But for hockey, I will. If you're looking for sort of just to get to know the game a little bit better, this would be a good book. So it is Take Your Eye Off the Puck by Greg Wyshynski. Thanks so much, Virginia. Thanks for bringing a nonfiction. What a great thing to do during the down season. Just read all the books while you anticipate the next season. (laughs) I actually had a hard time choosing a book today because I have discovered LGBTQIA plus YA sports fiction. (laughs) So... I realized that I actually love to read about sports, but I'm not as interested in reading about straight white male sports. So when you come at it from any other angle, pretty much, I love it. And I love reading about athletes in particular. I'm kind of hearkening back to a previous episode where we talked about nuns. It's that same kind of like single-mindedness of someone who who has a goal and and really knows what they want to do with their life. And I really, really love characters like that. So you're always going to find those in sports fiction. So I did end up choosing a book today that was actually on my um, most anticipated list. Uh, And I think it just came out like maybe a couple days ago. It is Home Field Advantage by Dahlia Adler. And interestingly, this is about football. And like when Virginia said, you know, I don't really care about football, but manga can make me care about it. I I hadn't really thought about that. Like, yeah, I do not care. Uh, it's, It's written in... Uh, It's an American book, so it's written about a high school football team in the States, which is so uninteresting to me. But it's actually about a female QB, and ultimately it's really about patriarchy in sports. So for me, that totally made me care about the sport. This is also one of like three books I've read recently where the love interest aspires to be the head cheerleader, (laughs) which is you know, not really something that I thought I would be into, but this sub- kind of subversion of it being this like American ideal. She's the American ideal girl, but then it's not just a like male-female romance actually makes it sort of interesting. So that is kind of the crux of what I loved about this book. It is one half rom-com, like sports rom-com that's totally like tropey and idealistic and in the end everything turns out okay and they win but they also smash the patriarchy (laughs) so it's also very reflective and especially on like internalized homophobia the book is about amber who aspires to be head cheerleader next year and with the way things are going it looks like that dream will come true the football team has recently lost their qb robbie in a drunk driving accident. This is very sad for most of the team, and it's something they're constantly thinking about. However, for Amber, it's hard to hear them all talk about how great Robbie was because she knows that he actually was a pretty horrible person. Amber is in a relationship, kind of, with Miguel. However, this is really a fake relationship. Even though they're best friends, they pretend to be dating because he's on the football team and she's on the, and she's a cheerleader and it helps them hide the fact that they are both queer. 
Miguel is the only person of color on the football team, and he knows that he needs to protect himself and his the fact that he is gay. So they come up with this plan that benefits both of them. And the fact that they're best friends and they spend all of their time together, it totally works. Nobody questions it. Enter Jack, a.k.a. Jacqueline Walsh. She has been scouted, even though you're not allowed to scout in a high school football, as the new QB. And when she arrives, everyone is totally dismayed to find out that she is actually a girl. However, she has got the arm to back it up. She's a great player, and it has always been her dream to play football, even though she hasn't had the opportunity due to her gender. Jack is totally unapologetic and a great player. So she's a really tough character that you can't help but like her her commitment and and how much she's willing to put up with. However, by the end of the book, you've seen her go through a lot. And we we totally understand that it's not easy to be a woman in sports, especially a sport that is traditionally not seen as a sport for women. Their romantic hijinks ensue, silly hijinks ensue. Um, Essentially, the team, the football team and the cheerleaders band together to oust Jack and and Amber and McGill are the only ones who are on her side. However, they have to keep that a secret. Amber has to keep her burning crush for Jack a secret because if anyone found out in their small town, their small rural town, It would ruin her opportunity to be head cheerleader, and it would ruin her social status, and it would really just be very difficult. This is an interesting dynamic where all of these three queer characters are out to their families, but they're not out socially. So it's kind of a reverse um, of what we sometimes see where the, the pressure is coming from the family, whereas this is totally coming from school and from peers. It has a lot of reflection on uh, on internalized homophobia, and all three of these characters are balancing their own dreams with with being themselves and with being out. It explores things like the fear of like if if I come out on a women's sports team, will everybody think that I'm looking at them in the change room? And these sort of these small, I think, really meaningful things I've never seen explored before that were. Yeah, they really hit on something for me just to see these characters go through these minor things, these things that seem like minor thoughts, um, but really kind of get to the core of how hard it is to be in queer in sports sometimes. Like I said, it's totally it's this juxtaposition between that sort of like heaviness and reflection and and smashing of the patriarchy and also just this really fun rom-com where everything goes the way that you think it's going to go. They get the girl in the end. I mean, like, I really feel like that's not a spoiler. It happens like pretty early on. And we get this really triumphant end. Um, So totally checked a lot of boxes for me and would highly recommend, even if you don't like to read about sports, if you like to read Queer YA, definitely check this out in other LGBTQIA plus sports books in YA, because I think there's something really special happening right now in those books. And that is Home Field Advantage by Dahlia Adler. I'm so pumped right now. Like, I just want to go read all the sports and watch all the sports and play all the sports. Like, Virginia, you even reminded me that sometimes I can care about hockey. (laughs) I'm sorry.
<laughs> so um thank you so much for joining us today yeah uh let us know what sports you like to watch and what sports you like to read about do they intersect are you a a person who hates sports but will read about them um i'm finding out a lot about myself lately and this podcast really helped uh of realizing sports are fun to read about <laughs> so thank you book friends for uh bringing some new ideas for our tbrs we will see you all next time goodbye sports fans thank you for listening if you like our show please tell a fellow book lover about it you can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes join us next week for another fun book chat until then keep it fictional Thank mm-hmm. you.